Welcome back. Recommended Daily Dose. I'm your host, Dr. Clinton Coleman, along with my less than, a, less than esteemed today. Le- I think pretty esteemed colleague, Dr. Surat Slugger, in general, but at least today. You're listening to Recommended Daily Dose with Drs. Clinton Coleman and Surat Sugar, the not-so-average health show with a unique spin on what's making headlines in healthcare. We have a fantastic guest today. Yes, we do. Miss Jacqueline Alterwine. She is a former New York Knicks dancer. We won't talk about the, the team currently. We will not, okay. But she's currently a fitness instructor and, and guru. And at, guru, yeah. In Montvale and Montclair. But most importantly, the reason why we have her today, uh, here today is because she's a breast cancer survivor and an advocate of breast cancer screening. So we want to welcome you here today. Thanks, Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you for having We're me. We're excited to talk to you. I'm excited too. So um, this is a heavy topic, but we just wanted to give our listeners some some statistics on on, on breast cancer. Some rapid-fire statistics. And we want to hear your story and yeah. then go from there. So um, if you didn't know, one in eight women in the United States will develop breast cancer in their lifetime. Yeah, so if you look at the overall population in the United States, that's a woman and generally every two minutes being diagnosed. It's crazy. Incredible. Right? That that's really puts in perspective. But, um, you know, so prevention is key because most of the breast cancer that's diagnosed is usually in the early stages. So, um, and that's a good five-year survival rate, about 99%. So screening is important. I know you're an advocate of screening. So tell us how you became involved in, you know, this process. Essentially, if you don't mind, just your whole your story, really. Yeah, well, you kind of have to understand the story to understand why I why I so do this. So passionate about it. Yeah, yeah sure. it really is such a passion of mine, and I'll try to get through it without any tears. It's usually it's you know oh, yeah. it's still difficult always to talk about. But right. uh, this past October was seven years. So with my mom was diagnosed, and the way when going into that. Um, I was probably, I think, I don't know, what was I? I was like 40-ish. So I knew the statistic that you just gave, one in eight. One in eight, right. But I will say that that one in eight, I was, I had thought about it, and I had said to myself, well, I don't know one in eight. I just, shamedly, I really didn't believe that statistic. I didn't, right. I didn't take it seriously. Um, I came to find out much later that I did know one in eight. I knew more than that. You know, mm. I just didn't know they were you either. Don't talk about that's it. That's right. They were survivors that weren't walk were walking around just disguised in their regular everyday regular life. Yeah. So out there everywhere. Um, so my mom went for her annual mammogram at 66, which was a normal thing every year, and she would make a big point of it. I'm going for my annual mammo, and I would say, "Okay, no big deal. Right. Good mom. Glad you're going." Well, this time was different. She had an appointment at three o'clock, and about quarter to five, she called me. She called me from the hospital, and she said, "Jacqueline, they found breast cancer," and I said. What do you mean they found breast cancer? You just had a mammogram. How can they find breast cancer? She said, they saw something. They took a fine needle biopsy, and they saw cancer cells. Mm. And I said, you know, I couldn't believe it because here I was taking, you know, not taking – Really not taking it seriously up until this point. And how old were you? And how old were you? I was, I think, 40, 41. Yes, it was seven years ago, so it was for, I was 41. Okay. And had you had, had mammograms? I did. I okay. had a baseline uh, in my 30s. Okay. And then I think I had one at 40. In fact, I'm going to ask my gyno next month when I go see him. Right. I want to know when that last, that first one that I went for right. at that recommended st- um, that age. age. Right. Yeah. So I literally, I remember walking, I was like, Running around that day, I had dry cleaning layered over it, a drink, my purse. I literally fell to the ground at that moment. Anyway, my life changed at that moment. And we were thrust into this world. And um, she came over to my house right away. And 
Um, I said, we're just, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get through it. It took a year and a half. And during that time, I learned the importance of the annual mammogram. Right. Her, ultimately, she was diagnosed stage one. She's doing great. Oh, thank goodness. Great. Yeah. You wow. know, lumpectomy, uh, radiation, chemo, it definitely takes its toll on you. So I also witnessed all of that and how much my mom had changed from the side effects of all those, those treatments. Um, it was not an easy road, but she got through. And she did a really great job. So during that time, I was also going to all of her appointments and asking a lot of questions. Let's also reverse and go back. My father was a gynecologist. I grew up in a house where health and wellness was the topic of conversation yes. every day. And I couldn't get away from it. And I'd be like, Dad, okay, okay, enough, <laughs> enough. You know, we were tired of hearing it. We heard about it so much. Um, and which is kind of like so ironic considering our situation. My right. dad is a gynecologist. But um, and but then he went into wellness. That's a whole other story. And then anyhow, so I went to all those doctor's appointments, asked a million and one questions of the doctors to the point that some one of the doctors said to my mom, is your daughter a lawyer? Right. Mm-hmm. So I was always asking, digging, digging deeper. Right. And advocating for her and pushing. So at the tail end of her treatment, about two months later, I had a very good friend at the time who turned 40, and she was just going for annual gynecologist appointment. He said, it's time for you to have your first annual mammo. Oh, you turned 40. That, long story short, started her process. And it took her about two, three months until they got to her diagnosis. And it was very, very early stage. It wow. was stage zero DCIS. First annual mammogram. First one at age 40. That's right. And it wasn't that they saw cancer. They saw red flags that led to further testing and biopsies in order to diagnose it. So now I was experiencing a a diagnosis and treatment from another perspective. And again, in common was that annual mammogram. Mm. Went through the whole process with her, supported her, went to surgeries, doctor's appointments, um, and her follow-up treatment. And her tail end of her treatment, another friend of mine, or we both have kids that are friends, had a recurrence. And she was diagnosed with a recurrence of breast cancer. Went through that with her. And her original diagnosis was also DCIS. Right. Very early stage, stage zero. Um, so again, I saw it from a whole nother perspective. By this time, I was already speaking out on social media, usually just around October. I was going annually now. and So you said speaking on social media. At this point, <clears throat> what were you? I was just speaking to the importance of the mammograms okay, and right, right. what I had witnessed personally, how important they were. Sure. Because I did not take that one and eight so seriously. Got it. Not until it happened to me, till I was surrounded by it as a co-survivor. Co-survivor. So, as yeah, a co-survivor. I like that term, yeah. yeah. And really a co-survivor is a real thing. There's support groups out there for co-survivors mm. because you take this on and you take this journey on from a different perspective. But you're right there with them, right? You like, are. Wow. And and now that I'm a, a survivor, I do see the difference. And I often give co-survivors advice. You can never really understand it until you are one yourself, right? right? Mm-hmm. In any situation, whatever it is in life, really until you're walking in someone's shoes, do you really, right. really understand? Do you think that's a limitation of the screening process is the fact that we don't, we're really not forthcoming about our, our disease when we have it? You just happen to be in a situation where you knew 
intimately people who had mm-hmm. it. But, you know, one in eight is a pretty, you know, there's eight people in this room. Well, right? I think so. the statistic you just gave is every two minutes on average somebody's being right. diagnosed. Yes, right. That's huge. You don't think of it like that. That is huge. That's right. When you think about it in that scope. But the, here's, the, here's the amazing thing about breast cancer. And what I found through advocating and speaking to hundreds and hundreds of women at this point over the last seven years is the main reason women don't go, and there's several, they're scared right. of the result. They're scared. They're fearful of what it's going to feel like. And we all feel it differently. Some people feel pain when they're in, then they're smushed in that machine and others don't. Um, those fears are real. They're valid. And I try to explain to children or husbands that whatever that per- you know that person in your life is feeling, that is a real reason. Right. Sure. Um, so we avoid that. But then also on the other end as survivors, there's also, this respect I have that I've also learned is I'm very outspoken about my situation. Um, there's others that are not because they're just not comfortable with it. When it comes to your journey and your treatment and the decisions that you have to make that you're faced with in any situation, not just breast cancer, um, it's very any kind of chronic illness, you know, serious sure. disease. It's very personal, and yes. it's your journey. Yeah. And so I completely respect that. Right. Um, I leave names out of my stories for a reason because right. they, they don't. That's their preference, and I 100% respect that. Um, my sister's a survivor. She was diagnosed two weeks hmm. wow. after my surgery. Well, she's not. Um, she's she's she'll speak about it. She's right. not just she's just not out there like I am. But that's fine. That's yes, just her. Course. She'll speak to you if you bring it up to her. It's not a secret. But she's also just not like. I out think you make there. a great point. But it's true. It's very individualized, and we need people like you to be public advocates, you know, and to edu- and educators. But. The reality is that there are some people who feel more private about these things. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that you brought that, that distinction up. Um, no, but please continue. I mean, you know, you're telling the story. And then so you're saying oh, your yes. sister was. Well, actually, prior. So prior to that. So my, my third friend went through it through mm. the third situation. This was about four years. And as she was so went through and supported her through her, you know, right. created those sport groups and the meal trains and you know, being there for a shaving of her head and things like that. I mean, these are all very impactful experiences that I went through that contribute to the reason why I'm speaking out. So I was going for my annual MAMO, and this was three years ago next month in December. So December of 2016, I am 45 at that time. And it's time for my annual mammo. And I was like going like every 365 days to the date. <laughs> I was like, I am yeah. going to be there. But yeah. I will tell you with every single one, especially because my own mother was diagnosed at her mammo, I was terrified to the point. And I'm an eater. I get up in the morning and I eat. Like um, I wake up hungry. I need my coffee. Right. Sure. So I had my, my mammo scheduled that mornings early. And I have the butterflies. I'm even talking about it now. It starts to come back. The fear and this that is I every felt year that every you, year would. How did you deal with that? I, well, that's an important thing that I learned. Right, I'm sure a lot of patients courage. are just they don't do it because they're fearful of fearful. the unknown. But that's a normal emotion that yeah, we of, feel as humans, and sure, it's an right. important emotion, right? right? You should be fearful of touching a hot stove. Right. You should be fearful of coming to the edge of a cliff. Right? These right. are protection. We're built built in protection for us. However, how you deal with it and how you face it, you know, I call that courage. Just right. walking forward in the face of fear, whatever that may be. And things are always not always necessarily easy, but we walk forward and we do them anyway when we know that's a good thing for us. So uh, through my through that experience and my own journey with fighting breast cancer, I really, really was able to experience courage. 
Right. Wow. It's amazing. So I went for that mammo. Yeah. I was there about four and a half, five hours that day. In and out, in and out. Another picture. Won't take from this angle. So it you wasn't know. straightforward, it sounds like, in terms of... No. From that mammal, there was some what, red flags? Or there That's was some, correct. Yeah. Calcifications. Okay, right. And I had many, but it was the way they presented. So by the time they got enough pictures, enough angles where they felt comfortable to say, right. at, by the end of that four and a half hours, I said, we want you to come back for another bi- for a biopsy. For a biopsy, right. So that started my diagnosis journey, and that literally took three and a half months. Because not only now, it just, it triggered so many other things. It just triggered so many other things. We were, I went for a second opinion. And by the time I was, you know, there's time in between. Because unfortunately, it's not straightforward, right? Calcifications can be normal. And That's then, absolutely correct. Especially younger women. Especially yeah. women, right? So yeah, it's important totally. To right. It is very important to know that, that just because calcification is there doesn't mean it's, no, it's right. right. It's the way they present. Mm. And I learned all this by sitting with my radiologists and looking at the mammogram images myself and asking all those questions again and then saying, well, if we're seeing it over here what about this area over here and so that would lead to more testing and by the time my my what it was is my breast cancer was caught so early that we just had to keep doing further testing until I finally had a surgical biopsy in March of that year and um, I went back 10 to 10 days later on a gorgeous beautiful day I think it was right it was March it was actually the very last of March 30th mm-hmm. You remember all these things. Right. And it was uh, sunroof blasting. I'm like, I haven't heard from my surgeon. I'm getting good results. I went through all this three and a half months for nothing, you know, two, three days off the bike, a week off the bike. I mean, it was like, it was hectic. It was crazy. Um, and I walked in and I waited for her and she walked in the door and she didn't have to say a word. Just that energy in the room. It was her face. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as she opened the door, I knew it. So how was that? I mean, that's a day that obviously is um, imprinted in you forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, we t- if we took a break and say how the, how the physician presented this news to you, I mean, um, was there anything that they could have done or you would tell us as physicians to make it easier you know, to give this kind of news to a, to a patient? I don't think she could have done anything differently. Anything she knew differently. me very well by oh, that point. Sure. She knew my story. Right. She knew that I was very educated. She knew what I had been through. Um, so she gave it to me very straightforward. And fortunately, as soon as she said, it's DCIS, I had a sense of, I, I was grateful. Okay. I was grateful that it, it was so early. Right. And instantly in my mind, I said, oh, I already even know my treatment. I knew what I was going to do. But I continued to ask questions. And during that questioning process, um, we only we ske- we scheduled my surgery very quickly. I was going to go in for a lumpectomy and then follow it with radiation. But now I had to dig even deeper. Now it's mm-hmm. me, and now I'm only speaking to women who've been through breast cancer and different treatments, and only and and I was actually connected with some very um, educated physicians that were in in the field. Right. So I was getting advice only from. Very people have gone through it again. Walked in my sho- walked in my shoes, and I asked more and more questions. And about a week before my surgery, it was only scheduled out about two and a half, three weeks from the time of diagnosis to the time of surgery. And just so, so you know, to, for the listeners out there, just so you maybe expand upon DCIS, just so people out there yes, know what that means. Ductal carcinoma in situ. See, right. That it's means like that, a precursor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Well, that's I think or there's early. a lot of conversation about that. Um, right. So. It's when there there are cancer cells that have not they're not they're still inside the the, the ducts. That's correct. And they have not left the ducts. Once they leave the ducts, you now have invasive 
breast cancer, and it's usually stage one by that point. Um, this was before my cancer could form into anything tangible. So I could have done as many self-breast exams as I wanted, which I still, still 100% back and say, you got to still do those anyway. But there was nothing to feel. Mm. That's, again, that's why the mammo is so important. Right. I got this before it could form into a cluster, into anything tangible. Um, so ductal carcinoma, it is stage zero. Good. But, yeah. you know, this is what I'll say. Some people say, oh, well, that's really like pre-cancer. It's not really cancer. And I'm like, Because when we think of cancer, we think of a, a, mass, a mass, a lump. Right. right. But this These, is cancer cells. That's right. And if you ask the people who've had a recurrence after having DCIS stage zero, if they had cancer or not. Right. It's, it's cancer. So, you know, it's a, there's always a chance of it returning and so but right. so, so slim. So, so, so fortunate. And I always focus on that. Good. Yes. The, had you had any genetic testing in the family? Yes, or? we've all had genetic okay. testing. And none of us, we are all negative for the BRCA gene. Okay. So your mom, yourself, and then subsequently your sister, and all that's negative. That's correct. Okay. Yep. So then we could say, you know, right, we could, that's a whole other conversation. Right. I have my own theories on that. You know, what were we all exposed to at the same time growing up? I don't know. There could be all kinds of things. Sure. Um, so it's just so interesting that we were all you know, diagnosed so, so closely, so closely together. together, right? Yeah. Time period, right? Yeah, yeah. So you decided before your lumpectomy. I, yeah. yeah, I asked more questions and I got some more facts and we did a, more tests. I said, we need to dig a little deeper here right. because I started to question maybe I should be having a mastectomy Myst- at my age. Mm. Um, you know, a lot I found out was a lumpectomy decreases your chance of recurrence for the first 10 years. And I said, well, I'm only 40. You live longer than 10 eight, years. Yeah, I'm only yeah. 46 at this time. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably well, better. And <laughs> so I'm like, only 10 years, whereas the double mastectomy is lowers your risk of, of occurrence, recurrence for the rest of your life. Yeah, right. Sure. I'm not 100. I'm not, I'm not somebody who does anything like halfway. Never in my life. So I was like, I'm going to be there, you know. It really wasn't until I made the decision two days before after another test came back. And... I made it about 48 hours before, and my doctor said to me, you have right up until the time we're rolling you into the operating room, really, to decide. So mm-hmm. no pressure. So, you know, I, I went the next day. I signed the papers. I couldn't believe it. it was all very surreal, and I'm ultimately super happy that I did it. But tell us about that decision. I mean, just how, how do you go about making such a, a monumental decision like that? Is that? I mean, that's not easy. I mean, you, you were just, or was it easy for you? No, it wasn't easy. It was not easy. I asked so many, I asked so many questions. So... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I use that all now. And again, I only spoke to those women that had been through it. So right. I would start that week. I had a network already. And, and you had I, perspective. Yeah. yeah. And I said to women who had double mastectomies, every single one of them said, no regrets, no, no regrets. regrets. Do it. Don't even think about it. It'll be a blur. You'll forget about it. You'll go on. And I had to believe them and have that courage sure. when they were all saying the same thing and taking all the facts into consideration it made sense even though it was hard for my for me to wrap my head around the fact that i was going to have my breast removed right you know that was it wasn't as big of a deal as how living with the chance of recurrence right. okay right so and that's what what so, one and so did way you have out, doctors right. trying to talk you out of that or because you know the mm-hmm. treatment would be a lumpectomy you can you're going you know yeah, and you know, listen, again, this comes back to respecting people's decisions and their right. journey and what's what works for them. Good point. Yeah. I don't, I, that's how I learned it because some of my friends have lumpectomy and radiation and others have had double mis. Everybody's on their own journey. It has to do what feels right for right. them. Right. Yes. 
Absolutely. And then two weeks later, my as my as I'm going in for my surgeries, my sister's telling me I'm having like I'm having sister pains. I think you know my Breton, mm. like two or three months overdue oh. for my mammo. So as I'm at my post op. She's getting a mammogram downstairs, and then a few days later, we got her results. Same thing, DCIS, and she's doing great. She also followed through with a double mastectomy. So Good. survivor, co-survivor, and advocate, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now for advocacy. So realizing how important it was and get, that, get the information about the importance of annual mammograms mm. um, after speaking with so many women who are not going, they're fearful, there's all kinds of it's really about education. That was the first thing for me. It was education. It was going literally to the doctor's appointments with my mother and getting the education, which made me then realize, okay, I see now why it's so important. Um, I had a for, I had a, a format. I had Facebook at that time. Yeah. And I would go on and tag all my friends, 100 people, and let them know. And then I started to see that my friends and acquaintances were saying, thank you, because of you, I made my appointment. Right. And I, I will. I, I'm so happy to say. Well, now we're up. Up until a couple months ago, it was only my sister that had gone and and come back with a positive, you know, the positive uh, diagnosis. diagnosis. But right. majority of the people that I have known, vast majority, have not. So that even though they're going for the first times, or um, so. But I've spoke to just speaking to so many women, seeing that like, wow, there is there is a platform here. And there's a need for it. There was information I was giving out and people didn't know. Mm. And they're saying, well, because of your situation, now that I know you, right? Because at first of it was course. because I knew my mom. Right. So a lot of times that's how it happens and that's where you get your motivation from. So so we, um, on one side of it, we we have we follow recommendations and guidelines. Right. They're not necessarily conducive to individuals, right? So... Some guidelines are society-driven, meaning what's most cost-effective for society. So, um, you know, recently some of the guidelines were changed to mammograms every two years as opposed to every one year. How do you feel about that? I have my own mm. personal opinion about that. Yeah. I think something as scary and lethal and life-changing as breast cancer or cancer in general, mm -hmm. you should do the utmost on an individual basis to, to diagnose it. Mm -hmm. um, but when they look at screening guidelines, oftentimes it's based on cost and right. benefit, right? So they say, well, for example, how many people you're capturing and is it worth the, and this is just purely from these guidelines. Um, and there are, I think most OBGYNs that we know and other women's health professionals would recommend yearly. Uh, but there are some that will only pay for every other, some insurance companies, uh, some guidelines have said, you know, if everything looks good, you can switch to every other year. So any thoughts on that? I, you, and I'm sure you have many. Yeah, I have lots of thoughts. Yeah. Now that I'm embedded in the community, and I know survivors from the age of 25 mm. into their 60s, 70s, I mean, it's no question that the importance and the significance of having the availability, being able to go and not have to worry about the financial aspect of right, it. Right, right. There was a time in between jobs. I did not have health insurance a few years ago, and it was during this time probably about, I don't know, six, seven, about five, six years ago. And I remember being in a panic because I was, it was coming up. I was due for my mammo and I was searching to find support on how to get my mammo because I was in between insurance and it's like this time frame, you know, you can't yeah. get insurance and it wasn't going to be covered. And my mom had already been diagnosed. I mean, I was crying searching for support and you know, it was, it is a, it is a financial expense. And, um, I ended up getting health insurance and getting it, and it all worked out. 
But also because of that, that's one of the reasons I partnered with the National Breast Cancer Foundation last year is because they do have a national mammography program. Okay. That, and that program provides hmm. not only the free mammograms, covers the cost of those free mammograms, but also any follow-up medical testing or treatment that would be necessary for that individual if, if they needed it. So if a, uh, if a woman wants to partake in that, how, how would they go about it? They, go, they have to go to a special uh, site to get their mammogram done? Yeah, to, well, they go to the, nas- the National Breast Cancer Foundation website. Right. And, and on their front page, there's another link to the National Mammography Program. You would search your state, and they'll provide locations. locations. Right. And if there's not a location in your state, they will actually help you find another service or provider another way to access and i actually have somebody because of my speaking out that's going through that right now um in a situation where they just in between jobs and don't have medical health care and need that mammo so um yeah so it does you know it's out there there is support there's other programs too i know i think pink lotus i haven't delved into it too deeply but i think pink lotus organization also provides that support and yeah if you dig deep enough it's out there you know, it's amazing because I feel like you're mentioning different foundations and there's like, you know, Walks for Moms and the uh, Susan Corman Foundation. But it seems like still the, despite all this uh, information out there and all this publicity and, and resources, there's still a lot of women, at least in your experience, we're not necessarily getting the message or, or understanding the importance. It's, for me as a physician, it's still striking that, you know, we try to be educators as much as healers. And I think it just, it, your experience is, is just speaking to how important that is to really get the word out. You know, for me, like my my thing is vaccines and, and understanding vaccinations, the importance. But, you know, you, you'd be surprised at how many people still have issues with that. So same history here with the hesitations for uh, whether it's breast cancer screening or colon cancer screening, et cetera. It's so important to have these advocates so out there. So important, yeah, yes. It, when, when, it, when it's personal, yes. you, li- you, pay, atten- you right. pay a little bit more attention. Of and that's course. what I'm finding is that because I know these people know me and I have access to so many people through what I my profession and that's what I realized I was like I, I'm working with all these groups of women they're taking my classes mm. this is the perfect opportunity to sit in a group at the end and speak to these 20 women directly and then I found other survivors because right. of that too and my my and then heard their stories so yes it's been I, I will say I I'm not like this big opinionated person that's out there so for me to even be out there on doing this platform, you must is, really believe it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I am a passionate person. Sure, I am very yes. passionate. That, that comes out very, yeah. very strongly, which is great. <laughs> which is good. But you That's said classes. So I mean, you know, you're not just an advocate. I think you're also involved in other things as well. So tell us. You said classes. So what kind of class? You know, fitness classes. We've talked as you know about jazzercise and Dr. Coleman's uh, love of jazzercise. <laughs> but I suspect you're teaching something more intense. What is that? Well, currently I am a cycle star, which is an cycling instructor, indoor cycling instructor. Okay. It's a great word for an indoor cycling instructor at Cycle Bar. I work in, I'm a lead instructor, one of the co-leads at Cycle Bar Montvale, which is Montvale, New Jersey. Now, why the bar? I always feel like, uh, you know, is, is there a bar? You know, do, we you, do you have drinks afterwards? Yeah. No, we have a, um, a oh. weighted bar. A bar. <laughs> a weighted bar. Uh, I thought so, there was maybe like a juice yeah. bar afterwards or something. No, okay. That's, that's down the street. But okay. yeah, we do have a weighted bar. So we yeah. incorporate some upper body in there with weights and that's always optional. But, and then um, I also work at Cycle Bar Montclair and I am a group fitness instructor at Equinox here in Paramus. Oh, okay. Excellent. Here closed down the street. And I am also, I'm so excited. I'm just past my halfway mark. I am a student at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition on my way to being a holistic health coach. Wow. 
We just yes, had um, as a we just recorded episode uh, with a physician who is a integrative uh, physician, you know. And so we've talked mm-hmm. a little bit about that. But tell us about what what that would entail um, once you could complete this training. What does that mean exactly? So that means I am going to work as a coach, a support system yes. for people that are anywhere on your journey. They're just looking to live their healthiest and happiest life. Right. And the approach is really from a whole. It's not just about the food that we eat, the diet, you know, it's really about lifestyle. And I'm very big into lifestyle because I've never been a, again, growing up with my, my dad set the foundation for all of this. Sure. And he passed away 14 years ago, but he, what his words live in my head, you know, all those times we were telling him quiet, enough dad, enough dad. And he was talking about processed foods 30 years ago to me. We were talking, I cut out red meat when I was like 19 or 20. So a man ahead of his time. Way, 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 way ahead of his time. He was so smart. And so all of this was already in my head. And, you know, again, here I go. I, I had... My degree in colleges and fitness, I figured I was going to be a personal trainer, I'm right. gonna, you know, and then also as a professional dancer at the same time. So my dance career took me off into different directions. Where did it take you exactly? I think it took you somewhere yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. So I started in Florida where I grew up as a Miami Heat dancer, and then that led to local jobs and, you know, started, I was a, I was a kid of the, I was a dancer of the nineties. Wow. You know, you danced the <laughs> so. 90s. I had hammer pants. Um, We're going, yeah, I had so hammer I, pants. Oh, absolutely. Wow. I wanted to be a hammer dancer. I didn't get, get to a high top. Wait, so Miami Heat, you were a dancer? Started with Miami Heat, my wow. first professional job. I was about a, just barely a year out of high school, and I okay. always knew I was going to be a dancer. Like, okay, right. You know, growing up in Florida, my parents were from up here, New York, Brooklyn, and New Jersey. And so I always knew that I was going to move to New York and I was going to be a professional dancer. Um, went to college. Started college, but I started dancing and college right out of high school. I was always cheerleading and dancing in middle school and high school, and then finally professionally about a just about a year out of high school, and that just started. I kicked everything off, and then when I was twenty three, I decided it's time to make the move to New York, and I had my eyes set on the New York Knicks City Uh-oh. dancers because at yeah. that point it was nineteen ninety four. We're going back. They're, we know wow. we're going back. No, that's great. <laughs> and this was, you know, the heyday. This yes, was amazing. Absolutely. But not only that, they had the best dance team in the NBA. They were young they still and still do, yeah. Yeah. And yes, right. And I knew did that Did you try out for them? I think I did. I thought, you, know, you made the first round, or what happened? I was at the top of the pyramid. They have pyramids. <laughs> you remember the pyramid? We I had do. a pyramid. See? <laughs> we did have a pyramid. It came crashing down. Um, like, literally. We just did this really But that cool was stunt. a heyday. But it we sure. was. It was That's great. Right. I, I, and again, I'm not somebody who does anything like halfway. I was like, I'm going for it. So, moved up here. I set my sights on that. Um, you know, worked in the industry. I was in, with the Knicks for six years, four of those as the captain of the Knicks City Dancers. Hmm. Um, so, I had a wonderful wonderful career with them and I was you know dancing on the side doing other music videos or commercial um, like commercial work industry work um, yeah so I had a lot of fun and then I set my sights on going in back to fitness and being a mom wow that was my next goal but it sounds like fitness and uh, you know uh, has been a part of your whole life it has yeah it yeah. has and while getting my my degree mm. um, while dancing I did every did it all part-time so it took me a long time but um, you know, I was incorporating that, especially as a captain of the dance team. I was incorporating that into our workouts yeah. and giving advice. And we had a lot of great support also from trainers, too, of course. So, Amazing. 
That's fantastic. Um, I, although I, think, I would like to hear more about your dancing, uh, perhaps another episode. Can you show him some moves? <laughs> we can always show some moves. But I think all that you're doing now, as far as uh, you know, holistic, integrative yeah. stuff, you know, fits into your advocacy for breast cancer screening. It all comes. It's it all comes. Everything together. is right, like right. totally come full circle. It's really, it's really interesting. You know, our lives, our journeys. We, I, I, I've planned. I'm a planner. I've planned for this. I've planned for that. Sometimes it works out in other ways. Sometimes it's been steered. And I think the biggest lesson I've learned now throughout my life is that go with the flow. Go with the flow. Go with the flow. Right. You know, your plan is not always the big plan that, you know. That's correct. Right. One above may have for you. Um, I've evolved so much and I'm barely grateful. I mean, I've been through some really hard stuff, but it's made me who I am today. Do you get frustrated from the medical community, you know, when we come up with certain guidelines which don't fit, you know, every individual person. For example, it's not recommended to do the self-breast exam or, um, you know, mammograms every two years. Um, you know, Dr. Sugger does his testicular exam monthly in the, in the shower. Bi-weekly. Bi-weekly. But, um, Thank you for that. You know, how, do you, how do you navigate that or how do you advocate that patients navigate that when they're the ones that ultimately have to deal with the issues? The patients themselves? Yes. I so if I'm hard. so if I have a airplane a 40, yeah. no no if a forty year old you know female comes and you know she does her first mammogram and it's negative you know she's saying she wants to come next year and I say you know we re- really recommend every two years because the numbers say mm-hmm. that right. your risk is low right. um, you know what if she had you know so what if she's the outlier right right you never know you, you just, just never right, know right. right so I say you have to be an advocate for yourself you've got to learn how to advocate for yourself you have to be knowledgeable mm. education and awareness is key and then you got to ask questions specific to your situation and you have to advocate and if you don't like the answer I hate to say it but if you don't like the answer that one doctor's given you right you find another one that's listening and and you've got to be your own voice just I think the problem is the whole community is led to believe, the medical community, that these are the standards, anything outside of that, one, is not recommended or has a, a cost that's not covered by insurances, which I think it makes it difficult for us to try to promote preventative care. Uh, and which is why pay- I'm becoming a holistic health coach, because prevention is really not just getting the annual mammo, but prevention starts when just from the day you're born. Right, you know? so it starts a healthy habits. It's a and, lifestyle. As, as, yes, absolutely. I like that. That's a great right. way to... It is a lifestyle, and that's... Great and, way to summarize, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, prevention is, is key. You know, doc, we, we need doctors. We love the medical profession, but doctors treat. I'm on the other side of the wellness. I want to keep you away from the doctors as long as possible. Oh, sure. I want to, you know, live the lifestyle myself and then help you to find that lifestyle what works for you? No, I think we're agreement. I think, in, and any doctor would tell you that that's what we want too. We want yeah. patients to not get sick, yeah. rather than you know prevention, you know, as opposed to cure. But. And we have so much control over that, right. and I don't think you know people it, understand the power of the lifestyle, diet, exercise, mental health, right? Everything. It's, it's all. It's all of its connect. You can't have right. one without the other. Well, you're doing such a great job to help us navigate that. But thank you so much for coming on today, thank Jacqueline. You. I mean, this uh, your passion shows through, um, your enthusiasm, your knowledge, your you know sharing your life experiences. We really 
are very much appreciative. We're honored, yes. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to everybody out there. And you can always follow me. Um, I have my whole story. Tell us, where where can we find you? So I kind of use my Instagram as like my blog, um, at Jacqueline Brooke 23. So J-A-C-L-Y-N. B R O O K E two three, that's my main source. That you know, or I'm on Facebook too. But yeah, or we can, can come uh, take a that. class with you in Montville. You or, sure or, can. Montclair, right? That would be Cycle Bar Montville. We can, we are. I mean, we like we go on a spiritual journey there. It's not just working. Are you out. a nice instructor, or you're, are you? Are you Or you a, make me vomit and then <laughs> no. say? Well, let's remember that you're. I am there to inspire you to be just find your best. Inspire. That's right. Air it's, quotes. It's very inspirational. You know, up until now, I've probably been the source of his inspiration, but I think he's looking for a new uh, health you're, you're guru. You're my Dalai Lama. I can yes. You're invited anytime. <laughs> Thank ride, you so much. Until next time, I am your co-host, Dr. Surad Sagar, with my colleague, Dr. Clinton Coleman. Recommend Daily Dose. Signing off until next time. Be well. <laughs> <laughs> Check out recent episodes and learn more about these two modern medicine men and their podcast at holyname.org slash recommended daily dose.